Welcome, good morning. Let's stand and worship and praise God together.
pray with me please Heavenly Father we thank you this morning for your presence we worship you Father we gather in freedom and in comfort we thank you for that privilege and we gather Father because we recognize that the good in this life is a gift from you be with us today hear our words of praise our words for help in Jesus name we pray Amen good morning we're so glad, still glad to see you here on this beautiful Sunday. Hope you've enjoyed the pretty weather. Glad you're here to worship with us. A good morning from Kids Street as well. Hi, good to see you guys. Um, I changed the little dots that we're sitting on for social distancing. What's coming up? Easter, Easter right? So, um, you know, when something's coming up, we, we get ready for it, right? How do you get ready if you're going to have some company coming over to the house. You know what we have to do? Yeah, we've got to clean the house. <laughs> you get ready for a visitor, right? What about, like, do you remember getting ready for the first day of school? What, what do you go and get to get ready for the first? Oh, you got to get shots. Oh, my gosh. How about a new outfit? Do you go pick out a new outfit or maybe some new school supplies, right? You get, like, new folders or a new backpack, Right? So I've got like, you know, some new pencils here. What, what would you have to do in order to use these things? You got to sharpen them, right? You got to get ready, right? Or a sports team. You guys play any sports or dance or do clubs, right? You got to get ready for it. Do you have to wear a uniform, right? Do you have to practice? You got to get ready. Pastor Kevin in his sermon is going to talk about someone else we need to get ready for Jesus. He's coming back, right? But we don't know when, so we just can't hurry up and clean our house because we know Jesus is on the way. So if we don't know when Jesus is coming, then we need to be ready for him all the time, right? So we think about cleaning up our house if we're going to have a guest. So we need to clean up our attitudes, our lives, the way we talk, the way we act, all the time. Not just when we think company's coming over, or just not when we think, oh, we've got a game today. But if we don't know when Jesus is coming, then we need to be ready all the time, right? Treat everybody with kindness. Okay? So think about that as you're listening to Pastor Kevin's message, and come get a pencil for me so you can be ready. Be reminded. Bow with me. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for your son, the life that we've been given in him. We look forward to his return. Help us to hold his spirit in our lives and, and share that love that we have in him with others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to stand and worship together. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every 
every king bow down Who else can whisper in darkness trembles Only a holy The beauty demands such praises. What of the splendor outshines the sun? What of the majesty rules with justice? Only a holy
Father God, thank you for your help. Thank you for all of the gifts that you've bestowed upon us, whether those be financial, skills, or just our talents. Let us return a portion of those now. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Nate and Brian. And remember, next week, we'll have a special part during our service to recognize Nate's 10-year anniversary here. This is a few months late, but we're going to celebrate that. And remember, gifts and cards, you can bring those, and there'll be a basket out there, and we'll present those to him next week. No meal, pesky pandemic, no cake. We'll do that later. I've tried to keep track of everybody that I owe a meal to over the last year, you know, because normally after someone does something at church or does me a favor, I take them out to my favorite Asian place always, and I'm going to have to rent the whole place out because I'm overdue, but I'll do that. And uh, so anyway, someday we'll be able to eat normally and all those kinds of things. But anyway, remember next week we'll recognize Nate's 10 years here. Open your Bibles with me this morning if you would. Matthew chapter 24, beginning a new series make time for Jesus, and the whole theme of this next series is how we need to make time for who Jesus is in our lives. If you don't, you get busy, and life goes on, and you miss so much. I think of my grandchildren, and for me to have them in my life is inconvenient because their schedule isn't my schedule, and so on and so forth. If I don't take the time to make time for them, well, you know what happens. 
it's three months and I haven't seen them since Christmas, right? And all those kinds of things. So you have to make time for those people, those things that are important to you. So that's the whole premise of this thing, making time for Jesus. The first part is this idea that we want to make time for Jesus because he's coming back. Come, Lord Jesus. We live with a hope that Jesus is coming back. In Matthew 24, you're going to find out that this is a difficult passage. And I have entire books on just this passage. So I will not clear up everything today. It will take at least two sermons. Joke. It will take many years to clear up that one. But we're going to talk about some of the main points of this chapter today. And how Jesus talks about his own return. As always, we begin with a word of prayer. Pray for our church. Pray for us as we begin to open up again. I think I've told several that we'll be beginning Sunday school Palm Sunday just four weeks away. So we'll start Sunday school services again and try to implement a new ministry and a complete ministry after that. Um, so pray that we can reach those people that we've lost. There are many people out in our community, of course, that are lost and without hope. They're good people, but they need Jesus. So pray that we can reach them. Pray for our culture. We're struggling against some real basic issues. You are aware of this. We're, we have significant disagreement over what things we should agree on. And we're having some real struggles. And those in power aren't giving clear leadership sometimes. And sometimes the leadership they give isn't very good. And that's no accusation towards any one party. You know, those that are in power are sometimes failing us. And we need to recognize that we have to take responsibility for our lives and for our nation. So pray that we would do that. Pray for those needing the vaccine, that those in power could make good decisions and get this organized and those kinds of things. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer. I'll close and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence and for this gift of life. We thank you for the gift of faith, for calling us to follow Jesus. We thank you for the work of your Spirit who moved within us and brought us to the point of decision to follow him. Thank you, Father. We thank you for caring for us, for acting in history to give us another chance. Father, we thank you for the truths of the resurrection, for the truth that your power is more powerful than death, more powerful than sin in the grave, and gives us a chance for life. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for this great nation. We are flawed and imperfect, but it is a wonderful place to live, and thank you for that. Thank you for your involvement in our history. We pray, Father, that you would help us. We are a work in progress. We ask that you would help us to stand together. We ask for help in ridding ourselves of some of the injustices that seem to come so easily to us. Help us, Father, to love, to forgive, 
and to accept others as they are. This morning we ask for your guidance and wisdom in the way we handle the vaccine and this pandemic. We pray that good decisions would be made, that people could receive this medication, that lives would be saved. We pray, Father, for our medical workers, first responders, soldiers, policemen, all whose job has been made doubly difficult by this pandemic. Protect them. Bring them peace and comfort. Comfort their families. Use them, Father, to serve people's needs. As always, Father, we ask for your guidance on the world scene. Help us to be seen as a force for good. Help us to fight for justice, to stand against evil, to use our great powers with discretion and restraint. Lord, help us. Our world becomes more complicated every day. Truth gets lost. The right thing to do is elusive. Give us wisdom. Father, we do ask for mercy. We're a sinful people. That's why we're here. We recognize our sin. and We confess it to you, Father. Cleanse us as only you can. We ask for another chance. Help us to live as if Christ is within us as he is. Give us the courage to share the gospel, to live the gospel, and to be people who honor you in all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about it, some of what we believe as Christians is really pretty bizarre. We may forget that. Some time ago, I had a conversation with one of my good lifelong friends. We grew up together, our good friends, and we talk about everything. He's a church guy, meaning he's not so serious about it as it gets in the way of life, is what he would say. Uh, but he's a church guy, goes to church, is a Christian, a good guy. And we disagree on almost everything. And um, it's just amazing what we can do and still get along. But we were talking one day about how much our faith is to affect our lives. He is of the school that says, if you go to church and you're a good guy and you take care of your kids and you pay your bills, that's all God really wants from you. And I took the other approach, the more extreme approach is to no, know when I practice my faith, it affects how I spend my money. It affects my sexuality and how I think about sex. It affects how I treat all people and how I think of myself, and I'm consciously worrying about whether or not I accurately represent Christ. And I went on and on and gave him the things that you get in my sermons. And he said, Kevin, it's just way too hard the way you do it. All you got to do is be a good guy and go to church, and that's all you do. I said, no, that's not enough. He said, yes, it is. He said, you're just making this too hard and making it way too difficult. You've just gone too far. Now, we parted friends, and we're still good friends. But I thought about that often. I'm making it hard. I'm taking it too far. For a lot of people, your faith is just a sliver of life. You go to church. You avoid the grosser sins. And you kind of be nice to people. And that's it. But God wants more, doesn't it? He wants much more than that. In fact, is He wants everything that is you. Your finances, your time, your energies, your interests, all those things are to be wrapped up in the way you practice your faith. 
It's kind of an extreme notion, and it's a notion that most people don't want to talk about. So we don't, for the most part. That's just one example of the way sometimes Christians develop perspectives that seem too far. Well, today we're going to talk about one of those ideas that is very Christian, and it seems too far. And that is the idea that Jesus is coming back, literally, in the skies, like the Bible says. He's coming back, and he's going to fix things and punish evil and establish justice forever. And for some, that is too far. Interestingly, though, it wasn't too far for Jesus. He talked about this very thing. If you would, follow along with me in Matthew chapter 24. I'll read verses 29 through 31. And as I said earlier, we're going to look at this whole chapter today, but we're just going to read a small section. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 29. Jesus says this, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sun, sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the, of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So Jesus talking about the end of times. And again, sometimes Christians don't want to talk about this end of the times thing. Because it's so easy to go too far, isn't it? We've all seen the cartoons and the comics and the drawings of people that have gone too far. I think of the old cartoons that you saw all the time. It was an old guy walking down the street with those card signs, you know, one on each side. And it was, he was obviously a quack and a nut. He was walking with a shepherd's crook in his hand. And the sign said simply, the end is near. And it was always a joke because, well, what do you mean by the end? And when is it? And all those kinds of things. And it's seen as a joke when Christians talk about the end of times and Jesus' return. And yet for Jesus, it was a big deal. Something to be concerned about. Something to be considered. Something that can affect you every day of your life if you think about it. It's kind of out there. It is extreme. And yet, like so many things that God says and does, it is extreme. Jesus gives us insight into the future in this passage. One of the things he says, though, has nothing to do with the future. And on screen, you can see this idea. We live in a world that is filled with evil and injustice. Watch the news. That's all it takes, isn't it? You live in a world that is dominated by news of the evil one at work. People and organizations that do incredibly evil things. Sometimes in the name of God, sometimes in the name of country and partisanship and patriotism, but sometimes even very good people do very evil things. And then there are other people that aren't very good people and they do incredibly evil things. In Jesus' day, people were very well aware of this. A little bit of history here. Jesus and his people and the Jewish people lived under domination of the Roman government. You and I do not understand what it was like to live under the Roman government. Taxation was one thing where they asserted power over people. And you have to understand that the Roman government asserted absolute power. Taxation rates, history says, is anywhere from 65% to 90%. So imagine a culture where you live and 90%, the 90% of what you make is given to the government to do with whatever they want. 
and you don't have any say-so about that. And if you don't pay your taxes, you die. Really. Or they throw you in jail, which is worse in those days. And so a, a very cruel system. And soldiers weren't just there occasionally. Soldiers were everywhere representing Roman government. The idea being that the soldiers would intimidate you and force you out of fear to pay your taxes, to follow the laws, no matter how absurd, and even to worship the emperor. Now, they did allow people to practice their own religious faith, but it was understood. You do whatever you want, but if this emperor wants worship, you will worship him, or you will die. And there was always that phrase, or you will die. And the government was very comfortable with killing people who got, simply got in the way. They would arrest you first, and then somewhere along the way, something would happen in prison, and you just were never seen again. Sometimes they would kill you on the street if you got in the way. So anyway, it had been this way all of their lives. The Jewish people had never known freedom in their lives. It had been hundreds of years since they had any semblance of freedom. They hated the Romans. They hated them. They seethed with rage against them. They had political movements planned to overthrow them. And over and over... The Roman government was murderous and kept them under control. So Jesus was talking to them one day, and they had this vision of the future. Based in Old Testament prophecy, someday Messiah would come. Now, you and I talk about Messiah, the Christ child during Christmas. Christ, the anointed one, would come and, and rescue the world. What happened in the Old Testament theology and in current New Testament theology in his day was... There was this vision of Messiah. He would come on a great white horse and he would literally murder all Roman soldiers and the government. And in that essence of an action of cleansing the world of that plague of the Roman government, he would set Jews or Christians up in charge of the world in Jerusalem and they would all live happily ever after. And that really is what they were taught. So they had this idea that Messiah would come and they were beginning to piece together the idea that Jesus was Messiah because of some of the things he said. Now, you need to understand, their perception of Messiah was incorrect. What had happened was they wanted to believe that the bad guys would die. That's what they wanted to hear. They wanted to see it. They hated these people. And so over the centuries, what happened was they began to see Messiah as a military ruler who would murder the bad guys and set the good guys up in charge of the world. So the Jews had that belief. It had been that way for several hundred years. And then Jesus. Now, Jesus never claimed to be a military ruler. He was anything but. But you see, what happened was people were beginning to understand that Jesus as Messiah was this military ruler. And so they were waiting for him to do something about those bad Romans. They fully expected him to kill them all. Because that's what they believed. So if you would, in chapter 24, still, look at verse 3. Jesus is talking about the end times. Verse 3. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? This was a nice way of saying, Jesus, when are you going to kill all the bad guys? That's what they wanted. They wanted the Romans to die. None of this love them in the name of Jesus business. The bad guys needed to die. 
Now, of course, you understand that's not a Christian perspective, and they didn't care. Isn't it interesting that sometimes Christians adhere to perspectives that aren't Christian at all in the name of Jesus? So these people, followers of Jesus, good guys, had allowed their biases and their visions of the future to get in the way of what Jesus was actually saying. And Jesus dashed their hopes to the ground with his answers in this chapter. So on screen, well, these won't be on screen, but uh, some of the things that Jesus said, look in verse 6 if you would. Verses 6 and 7. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For a nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, this is the way it's going to be. Your lives will be hard. No easy rescue. They didn't want to hear that. Remember, they wanted to hear Jesus saying, okay, mark your calendars, set your alarms. This is a day all the bad guys die. Jesus said nothing like that. Talked about wars, rumors of wars, famines, suffering, persecution. You live in an evil world, and this is the way it is. Now look at verse 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. So this is Jesus doing his hard sell, follow me, and if you do, people will hate you and kill you. Jesus obviously was not a salesman. He would never make it on TV, would he? Because he didn't paint the pretty picture. I've had arguments with people, preachers all, about how we're supposed to present the gospel. And they say, Kevin, what you say doesn't preach. It doesn't sound good. That's exactly right. Some of the things that Jesus says didn't really sound very good. Jesus was telling his followers, when you follow me, it's going to be hard sometimes. There will be people that hate you simply because you follow Jesus. All over the world, and you know this, people have died for the sake of their faith. In fact, is Voice of the Martyrs, and you are familiar with that radio station that talks about martyrs and, and Christians suffering for their faith. They say that more people right now are dying for the cause of Christ than at any other time in history. So when you read about times in history when Christians were sacrificed, say in Rome, that was just a drop in the bucket. Today, in this world, hundreds of thousands die every year for nothing more than being Christian. There are political issues involved, and that's true, but that's the problem. They follow Jesus, just what Jesus said would happen. Now drop down to verse 15, still in chapter 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, this is the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the abomination of desolation. Okay, now, Jerusalem was not only where they lived, Jerusalem was the focus of their faith. I've talked about this before. The Old Testament system was based on a theology of place. When you wanted to be close to God, you went to the temple. In Jerusalem, there wasn't any other place. That was the big place. If you didn't live there, your goal was someday to make that pilgrimage to worship in the temple because they understood, incorrectly, but they understood that their faith was located in Jerusalem. Well, most of Jesus' followers were Jews. They grew up thinking that. So they made the same mistake in thinking that their faith was located 
in Jerusalem, in the temple. Jesus is saying, listen, it's going to burn. Jesus was trying to get them to understand that the Christian faith isn't a theology of place. It's a theology of person based on Jesus, not based on temple, not based on Jerusalem, based on Jesus. And the temple, well, remember what Paul said about the temple. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go to church to worship. The Holy Spirit is with you no matter where. So we went from a theology of place to a theology of person. This is what Jesus is saying here. You think that Jerusalem is such a big deal. It's going to burn. It will be destroyed. For those of you that have paid attention over in Sunday school over the years, you realize that about 40 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed. Burned to the ground. The Romans destroyed it. What happened was the Christians tried to force an uprising because they wanted to force Jesus to come back early because they got tired of waiting. So they figured, let's start a war with Rome and God will come in and rescue us and Jesus will come back and, and fix everything. And guess what happened? They started the war and the Romans finished it and Jesus didn't come and rescue them because that never was the plan. Jesus never had the plan to rescue them and to set up a reign in Jerusalem. That was some preacher's idea, but it surely wasn't the prophetic idea. So what we have here is a pretty difficult situation. The people had an idea of what they knew Jesus would do. And so they asked him about it. Jesus, we want a schedule. And Jesus said, you're all wrong. No rescue. No schedule. And it's going to be hard to follow Jesus. But in the same time, what he wanted them to do was be faithful. On screen is this next idea. God encourages to work out our faith, and he commissions us to share the gospel message along the way. So Jesus, in this section, encourages Christians, be strong, be stable, suck it up, because it's going to get hard. And while you're suffering for the faith, be sure to tell people about Jesus. Again, Jesus was no salesman. But Jesus told people, what they needed to hear because they were living with delusion that they could follow Jesus and no matter how bad it got, they could wait and be patient because Jesus was going to come and rescue them before they died. And they had that timeline imposed on Jesus. Jesus, we know you're going to do it. And the understanding was you're going to do it now as soon as Messiah came back. Jesus said, listen, your ideas are just wrong and it's going to be hard. It could be pretty and Discouraging if Jesus stopped there, but he didn't. He did say that one day he will return and he will make things right. Now look at verses 29 through 31 again. But immediately after the tribulation, verse 30, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, in verse 31, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. In other words, Jesus is coming back, and it will be incredible and dramatic, but it's going to be a long time in coming. What he was trying to get rid of was this false hope that before I die, it's going to get better, that I don't have to live and function and share my faith because Jesus is coming back real fast. You know, sometimes we do that. We avoid reality because we want things to happen before reality kicks in, and this is what Christians were doing back in those days. 
He talked in verse 24 about false Christs and false prophets. He warned them, there are going to be preachers that are liars. Can you imagine that? Preachers who will tell you that if you listen to their sermons and give them your money and join their group, that you will be rescued. We've heard that all along, haven't we? Preachers making hay out of people's fear. Verse 27, as lightning lights up the entire sky, Jesus told this because some people had the idea that when Jesus came back, it'd be kind of a secret just for the good people, you know? You see, that was part of Gnosticism, which was a secret club with secret information. So there were preachers who were already preaching, and they've always always been there, by the way, that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a secret. Jesus says, nonsense. When I come back, you're going to know it. Whenever you hear a preacher say that Jesus came back, turn him off. Walk away, because he is a liar. When Jesus comes back, everybody will know it. You haven't missed it. I remember uh, a couple times in my life, I've shown up to church, and I was in small rural churches for a long time. And a couple of times I showed up, and I was the only one there. And for a minute I thought, gee, did I miss something? Maybe the rapture happened. And, and then I realized, no, they just didn't show up that night. And that's all it was for whatever reason, you will not miss the rapture, people. You will not miss it. When it happens, you will know it. If you are alive at the time, you will know it. When you are raised from the dead, if you're already dead, you will know it. Everybody will know. There's not going to be any discussion. The political hacks on TV aren't going to worry about it and talk about it, what it could be, and is it this, or is it Russia or China, or is it us? No discussion. Everybody's going to know. And then here's the kicker. Look at verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. When somebody sets a date, walk away. Because they don't know. I've got a, a whole shelf full of books about the end times. One of them is, the title is telling. Why Jesus will come back in 1988. Obviously, he's been around for a long time. Well, Jesus didn't come back. So the enterprising preacher wrote a book a year later. Why Jesus didn't come back in 1988. I kid you not. It's the craziest thing. It made no difference that he violated scripture. Watch thee, therefore, no one will know. He knew. He thought he was special. Jesus would say he was a liar and deluded. Don't worry about when. Follow Jesus. On screen are some things that Jesus teaches us. We'll go through these quickly. How to prepare. He encourages us to be faithful, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. So be faithful. When you don't understand, be faithful. When it's hard to follow Jesus, be faithful. When your prayers aren't answered like you want, be faithful. Another one, Jesus promises justice and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and gnashing of teeth. You do not have to worry about whether the bad guys will get theirs. They will. Maybe not on this earth, but justice will be served, people. And there is comfort in that because we live in a world where crooked people are wealthy and happy and popular. And the good people suffer. And we know that. And that doesn't mean that everybody that's powerful or is crooked or anything like that. But there is no complete justice in our lifetimes But when Jesus comes back, there will be. And finally, God's eternal truth enables us to stand. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
Scripture. It's the only thing you can count on, the teachings of Scripture. Your best friends may mislead you, or they'll fail you, or they'll die. Your body will get weaker, guaranteed, probably get larger in the process of getting weaker. And what you used to be able to do, you won't be able to do. And you, like everybody else on the planet, will die. Everything that you know that is strong and current will fade away. Except for truth that is eternal through Jesus. So, we can get all upset about so many things. And I understand that. And we can be afraid. But Jesus says, listen, I'm going to fix this in God's time. Don't worry about when. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to miss it. You're not. Just follow Jesus. Live your life of faith. Do what only you can do. Recognize that Jesus himself was with you in the presence of the Spirit. On screen is a final thought. Be faithful to God and place your trust in Him alone. Jesus is coming back. The old Christians in that first century finally realized that the only thing they could do is say, Maranatha, Lord, come. And that's all they had. And that's all they needed, they began to realize. And historically, Christians, if they've bought into this and understood that Jesus is coming back, then they can endure to the end. And those are the ones that Jesus will save. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation this morning. The challenge for you is to accept this radical notion that the world isn't going to get better completely, that it's going to be hard sometimes in this life, and that ultimately, when God comes back, He will make things right. And that's something you can count on. Would you stand with me as Nate comes and leads us? Nate. Remember next week, we'll celebrate Nate's tenure. Bring cards and gifts. We want to show him we love him, all right? I think Chrissy's up here to make some kind of announcement, and then Andy will lead us in closing prayer. Okay, Chrissy? thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you've got your calendar, so now you can just take it out, 
And for Tuesday at 1 o'clock, the floral committee is going to switch to spring. So that next Sunday when you come in, it's all bright and cheerful, and we're ready for uh, springtime. So just mark it down, 1 o'clock on Tuesday. Thank you. And just as a reminder, there's offering plates at the back for those of you in service with us. And for those of you online, the links are in the description. Bow with me, please. Father, let us hear these words. Let us take these words out into the world and let us inspire the change. In your name, amen.